0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at org. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Father, we ask that you would remain faithful to us and that you would give us the strength to be faithful in return. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As I said, this verse we're looking at verse 13, it's a beautiful idea And it's a beautiful idea that is expressed beautifully. Now, the idea is what I want to talk about. But before we do, I just want to say a few words about the way it's expressed, uh, why it is so powerful, the way that these words at the end of the song that Paul quotes come to us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's an artistry to this lyric, the the twist at the end that lends power to the beauty of what's being expressed. If you think about the structure of the song as we've worked through it, it's a series of kind of if-then statements. And you get into a pattern of these parallel statements, right? If we do this then this will happen if we do this then then will this will happen right if we die with him we will live with him if we endure with him we will reign with him if we deny him he will deny us if we are faithless and if you weren't looking at the text you might be tempted carried along to say then he will be faithless but then you think well that doesn't sound right no well, that can't be what it says and so here there's a twist there's a turn and, and the the parallels are disrupted. And instead of the second part of the statement echoing the first, it, it's a contrast. A contrast between our faithlessness and his faithfulness. And then in a line that at least in, in our translation is rendered as if this is Paul adding an explanation, but not part of the lyric, but words of Paul Uh, explaining that last line. He says, for he cannot deny himself because he cannot deny himself. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. You expect the parallel because the song has led you to, to think that's the way it's going to work. And then at the last moment, it thwarts those expectations, but in a wonderful way, like, you know, intellectually that Christ is never faithless you know that there's not ever going to be a a song that we sing in church about the faithlessness of Jesus, We're going to sing about how steadfast he is, not how faithless you know that here. And the beauty of this is that it communicates what you know in your head to your heart. It gives you a powerful emotional way of clinging to it, which is the reason why people who are familiar with this passage, The part of the passage that they're most familiar with, that they call to mind or most likely to quote are the words of verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And these are words of encouragement. It's a beloved turn of phrase. 1987, the movie, the princess bride came out. And I actually, knowing nothing about it, went to see it in the theater for the first time. And, and I'm pretty sure that even then, the first time I saw it, it felt classic already. It felt quotable. It felt like this was something you were already familiar with. There's so many familiar uh, lines and quotations from that movie. But the one that is my favorite is uh, the, the guy, uh, Vicini, the, the little bald guy who's always saying, Inconceivable! Everything that happens is inconceivable to him. He's the smartest guy in the world. He understands everything, but things keep happening that that he never saw coming. Wesley, who's who's pursuing him climbs up the side of the cliff face with the rope and he looks down. He's inconceivable. This is impossible. So he cuts the rope, the rope falls. And when he looks over, Wesley is still clinging there to the rock. And he says, inconceivable, which leads an Montoya to turn to him and say, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I say that all the time. And and usually I'm right because people constantly use words that, that don't mean what they think they mean. But I'm going to suggest to you that verse 13 is one of those instances where we quote this verse and we love this verse. And it says something that we cling to deeply in our hearts. But it doesn't mean what we think it means. What the song is singing about is not exactly what you think it's singing about. In fact, there's quite a bit of difference between what we think this passage is telling us and what it's actually written to say. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to look at verse 13 and we're going to see why verse 13 doesn't mean what you think it means. And then we're going to look at what it actually means and why it's good that it means what it means instead of what we think it means. Okay, so we're going to see it doesn't mean what you think it means. What it really means and why that's a good thing. Okay, so verse 13 doesn't mean what you think it means. When Paul quotes these words, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What does that mean? Well, most of us would answer with what it sounds like it means. It means something like this even if we are faithless, that's okay because Jesus is still faithful. I mean, nobody's perfect. There are no perfect Christians, no perfect believers. In fact, you can't live perfectly. You inevitably will succumb to sin. But the good news is, it's not your perfect obedience that saves you, it's Christ's perfect work. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself, seems to mean that Jesus, by His very nature, is faithful. Like He can't help Himself. Like even if he wanted to be faithless, he just couldn't be faithless to us. So even when we are faithless, even when we deny him, he cannot deny us because that's just who he is. Faithfulness is who he is. It is impossible for him to break faith with us, even when we aren't faithful to him. That's what the words seem to be saying. And that's what we take them to mean. And that's why we find them so comforting because we're aware of how imperfect we are. We interpret it kind of in a similar spirit to this famous prayer that uh, this guy, Baron Astley, who was the commander of the King's infantry at the Battle of Edgehill in the English Civil War, he famously uh, had a prayer he would pray before he goes into battle. And the prayer was, O Lord, thou knowest how busy I must be this day. If I forget thee, do not thou forget me. We understand we will occasionally forget him, we will fail him. And our hope is that when we fail him, he will not fail us the comfort of that thought comes from the reminder that salvation does not rest in our hands. Whether or not we are saved is not ultimately up to us and our strength. It's up to him. It rests in his hands. And so it cannot be lost through our weakness. We cannot through our faithlessness, our weakness, our failures lose what we have been given by God. And if you remember that, That's a way to give all the glory to God of your salvation. If you remember that, if you say to yourself, if we are faithless yet, even still, he remains faithful. It reminds you that he does all the work in salvation, that your so-called merit deserves nothing, humbles you. And also it reminds us of Christ's love. It reminds us that even when we are at our most unlovable, he continues to, who love us, and that's a comfort. And it's one of the reasons why these words stick in our minds and our hearts. And, and all of that is true. Like The reason that it's so easy to read these words and derive that meaning from them is that all that stuff is true. You will find those things expressed in Scripture. You will find that comfort and those assurances in Scripture. So when we see these words, we naturally assume, ah, this is kind of summarizing that idea giving us a a quotable line that talks about Jesus's faithfulness, even in our weakness. Right? But that's not exactly what this song is talking about. In fact, it's not at all what this song is talking about. You have to think about the context of the song. As I've said before, remember, this is a martyr's song. This is a song that was written, that was given to the church to encourage those whose faith is being tested to the limit, life or death. Right, so the whole point of this lyric, the whole point of this song is to inspire faithfulness. Right? The whole point is to encourage you to die in order to live, to endure in order to reign. The whole point is to urge you not to deny him and not to be faithless. And if that's the case, if we interpret the end of the song to kind of be like a contradiction of everything that's gone before, if we interpret... Verse 13 to say, no, wait, it's okay to deny him because he just can't help himself. He's always faithful. That doesn't seem to sit easily with what has gone before. If the song is saying you actually don't need to die, you don't need to endure, and you can't deny him because in the end, it doesn't matter. He's faithful. He just can't help himself. Then the song wouldn't actually be encouraging the kind of faithfulness it was written to encourage, would it? At the point of martyrdom, as as you're being faced with that choice, will you die or will you deny him? If we read the song that way and we think, well, even if I deny him, it's all going to work out for me. Okay. Not quite what a song like this is written to convey. So there's a different point being made here. And I want to try to explain, get you to see what that point is. If, if, if the traditional reading of this verse is not probable within the context of the song, well, what is like, what is this talking about? So if we think about martyrdom, you'll remember at the beginning of this series, I told you the word martyr in Greek just means witness and martyr in Greek. Isn't somebody who gets killed for their faith. It's just somebody who testifies, who bears witness. Now in a martyr 's song the the question at stake, like the, the focus is again not just on death but on witness. The question that the song is, is is about is bearing witness. The duty of a martyr let's put it this way the duty of a martyr is to bear true witness, whether he dies for it or not. bear true witness so a martyr should bear true witness to Christ even when he suffers for it. The central question of the song is a little bit different than what we assume. The central question of the song isn't, will I be saved? It isn't, will I be saved or what will happen to me? That's the lens we tend to look at trials and tribulation through. When bad things happen to us, when we're tested, we ask ourselves, what's going to happen to me? That's our foremost Concern, and there's a reason for that. It's because that question seems to us to be the one with the highest stakes. But the central question in any story is the most important one. It's the one where the stakes are highest. And when I'm on trial, it seems like the most important question is what is going to happen? Will I be punished? Will I be killed? Or will I be saved? Will I be delivered? If I don't die with Christ, if I don't endure, then what will become of me? What will happen to me? We think it's the most important question because to us often it is, but in fact, there is something greater at stake than you in this question of faithfulness, in this, this, this need to bear true witness. There is a more important question at stake than what will happen to me. And that central question is what this song is really about. That question is, will the truth of Christ be proclaimed? Will the truth of Christ be proclaimed? Will true witness take place or not? The thing that is at stake in every trial or test is whether or not there will be a true witness to Jesus Christ. In other words, To put it the way that John does, will the light shine in the darkness or will the darkness overcome it? That's the question that this song is thinking about. Will the the one who bears witness continue to bear true witness or will he fail? Will he turn back? Will he deny Christ? That's the question. Strange as it sounds to us, the biggest problem if we deny Christ is not what happens to us. The biggest problem if we deny Christ is that the truth is not proclaimed. A difference of perspective, what matters, what's important. The risk is that if we fail to endure, if we give the world an excuse, we, we concede then we give people a reason to doubt the truth of Jesus Christ, right? If we fail in our faithfulness, then it seems as if Christ has failed that our defeat demonstrates the defeat of the one who saved us. That's the danger. That's what's at stake. And therefore the comfort of verse 13 is actually entirely different than, than what we tend to think it is. The comfort is not, Hey, even if you deny him, don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. You will be okay. The comfort of verse 13 is that no matter what happens to us, Christ himself will continue to bear true witness. Think about the way that Jesus talked about himself, about his mission. What did he come into the world to do? Why did he take on flesh and dwell among us? And we would say in answer to that, well, he came into the world in order to save us to save his people from their sin. Absolutely. But one of the ways that Jesus spoke about his mission really simply was just bearing witness that he had come to bear witness to the truth. You turn to John chapter eight, John chapter 8, Jesus speaks of himself as the light of the world. We've already alluded to John's prologue in that question of whether the light will shine in the darkness. What does it mean to be the light of the world? It means to bear witness to the truth to the world. Listen to these words of John. This is John 8, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. When theology, will look at passages like this to talk about the self-attestation of the word, that scripture, that God vouches for himself. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews 6.13 says, says this also about the covenant with Abraham when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. God bore witness to himself because there is no higher authority who can substantiate God than God. So Jesus here bears witness to himself. And he says, the father bears witness to me. All of the the inspired word that had come down through the old Testament bore witness to Christ as the Messiah bearing witness, true witness is what Jesus came in the world to do. And the point of verse 13 is that this true witness is absolutely secure. The light will shine in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. In fact, just the opposite is true. The darkness will be overcome by the light of Christ's witness. Even if we fail to bear true witness, the light will shine in the darkness because Christ's very nature is to testify to the truth of who he is and what he has come to do. That's the comfort of verse 13, that that light cannot be extinguished. They can't extinguish it through violence. We can't extinguish it through unfaithfulness. That light will shine. The real comfort does not speak to the question of what will happen to me. These words are speaking to a deeper anxiety. You might say a martyr's anxiety, the anxiety of those who are faithful but are conscious of their weakness. We worry that somehow the the flame will be extinguished. These words are saying it will never happen. It cannot happen because for that to happen, Christ would have to deny himself, which he could never do. Here's why it's good that that's the meaning of this verse it tells us something we need to be reminded of over and over again, which is that it's not all about you. It's not all about you. The plan of God, salvation, Christ, why Christ came into the world. What's at stake when we are tried. It's not all about you. One of the persistent challenges that we have as subjective and fallen human beings is to look beyond ourselves It's difficult to look beyond ourselves to the needs of others. It's definitely difficult to step back and try to have the God's eye view of reality left to our own devices. Inevitably we make the world revolve around us. Even the plan of salvation revolves around us. Even God revolves around us. So it seems to us that the most important question, surely in the mind of God must be what's going to happen to me. This is a reminder that that's not the case. It changes our perspective. One of the things grace does is it reorients us and shows us where to place value, but right? you're not the center. Grace says Christ is the center and you are joined together with one another in a body. You as an individual are not at the center, but Christ is at the center and, and we together are, revolve around him and glorify him. As Eugene Peterson once wrote, we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. That matters because in so much of our life and in so much of our religious life, what we are actually being encouraged and trained and formed to do is to see God in our stories. Starting with ourselves to think about how we can bring God into the picture. I want to be a great Christian. I want to be a saint. I want to be a martyr. I want to do great things for Jesus. I want Jesus to be a bigger and bigger part of my life which as pious as it sounds is still about me still puts me at the center of things. This is my story. This is my song. And I want my faith to be a really important part of it. But what verse 13 is saying to us is something different, something different. It's, it's not about inserting God into our stories. It's about finding ourselves in his story the reminder of where our real concern should be. We should care about the witness to truth in the world around us. It's not just a question of what happens to us, how blessed we are, whether or not life goes well for us. It should matter more to us that the truth is testified to that. The truth of the gospel is proclaimed should be more important to us than what happens to us. We should be more concerned with Christ's reputation than we are with our own. It should matter more to us that his name is glorified than that our names are built up, that we are respected and respectable. We should be able to sing no matter what happens to me. May his name be praised. And when you think about words like that, you probably think of Job. Job, who who basically says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And if you're looking for inspiring songs to sing, inspiring refrains, the book of Job isn't really where you'd want to go. Nobody wants like their, their life verse to be like the words of Job. But remember, we're in martyr territory here we're in territory where the most important question is will the truth be proclaimed and when you're in that territory when you're in that territory the words of job are not just sort of grim words of acceptance but they are words of worship and they are words of of absolute absolute submission to the centrality of god whether god gives or takes away Blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter what happens to me, may his name be praised. When you sing the martyr's song, that's the thought that's in your heart. It's not about our story. It's about God's story. God's is the story that saves. The gospel story is the narrative that transforms us. And that is the truth that Jesus bears witness to. That is the truth that he cannot deny. When we look at the story of the gospel, there are so many things there to surprise us. So many things that seem almost tailor-made to make us wonder, could this be true? You're saying that God came into the world and took on flesh and became truly human. Inconceivable. You're saying that God humbled himself and endured persecution and death on the cross for our sakes inconceivable and that he rose again from the dead, that the grave could not hold him. And if it cannot hold him, then it will not hold us inconceivable. The gospel is always forcing the powers of darkness to look at what's happening all around them and say, inconceivable, this can't be happening. But Jesus says it is. And it will. The angel Gabriel speaking to Mary says nothing will be impossible with God. What is inconceivable to us. God has conceived for himself and Christ bears witness to the truth. Jesus remains faithful, cannot deny himself. And that means that everything that he has promised us will come true and everything that he has promised the world will come true and that Jesus will will be worshipped and glorified. That's what it means to say that he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.